Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning expectant, Lord, to hear your word, to hear what it is you would have to say to us collectively as members of your body, Lord, but also individually and personally. Lord, we realize that we have an enemy who would desire to distract us from hearing from you this morning, the desire to distract us from having your word go forth this morning. But Lord, we thank you that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We thank you, Lord, that we trust in you this morning. And our Father, I pray that you would silence the mouth of the enemy. And Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that are soft and malleable. And Lord, that you would encourage us as we look at your word today. Lord, that you'd help me to be clear and to be faithful. Lord, we commit this service and our time to you into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So when we say we're Christians, what is it that we're really saying? When you say, I'm a Christian, what do you mean? Maybe you mean, well, I, I, I go to church, I read the Bible, I go to church every week, and I meet with lots of other people who go to church every week. That makes me a Christian. Or for some it would be, I grew up in a Christian home. My mum and dad are Christians and I've been a Christian for as long as I can remember. For others it will mean I'm a follower of Jesus. I prayed a prayer some time ago and I tried to live a life following Jesus. If you're not a Christian here this afternoon, what do you think a Christian is? Someone who preaches at you, a do-gooder maybe, people who think that they're better than you or maybe... You think a Christian is somebody who hates gay people and loves the Bible. Now there was a time when I thought a Christian was somebody who dressed up smart on a Sunday morning, went to church, sang songs, and listened to a man shout at them about God. That was, my, that was a, the extent of my understanding of what it was to be a Christian. Now the reality is that sadly, Christianity can mean so many different things to so many different people, can't it? But whatever your thoughts are about what it means to be a Christian... We're going to look at a verse in the Bible today, which I believe will help us greatly to at least begin to understand what the Christ-centered life is all about. And the man who makes this personal confession is none other than the Apostle Paul. And it's in, our verse is in Galatians 2.20, which reads, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Doesn't that sound good? It's, 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 it's for a long time been, been a, a popular verse of mine, but as I've, as I've looked over it again this, these last week, last two weeks, to be honest, it's become my, it's, I've decided this is going to be my life verse. This is a verse I want the Lord to really imprint on my heart, that I would really be able to lay hold of the reality of it. And I'm praying, and I have been praying, that the Lord would help us to begin to do that today for each, for each of you, that this would become just more than words on a page, but it would be something that you really lay hold of. Now, as always, we want to consider the context uh, that is the passage, now don't go to sleep at this point, some people hear context and they think, okay, I'll wait, don't go to sleep. We need to consider context, context is king, 
Um, we want to consider the passage. And so to help us do that, I've got a short clip. It's a, it's a cartoon clip, it's very short. So it, but it kind of very simply illustrates the context that, was, that Paul was speaking into. So if we could run the clip. Sam. Oh, hey, God. So, what is it you have there? You mean these things? Well, these are all my good deeds that I'm using to get into heaven. Is that so? Oh, yeah. I've got tons of good stuff in here. Like these. These are groceries that I would give to the poor every week. There's apples, milk, fish, coffee. And, oh, look, look, look. There's another good deed. These are supplies from my very first mission trip. It was so hot, and there was mosquitoes and bugs, and oh, look, 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 here's another good deed. You'll really like this one. Okay, so there was this one time. It was at night, or was it evening? Maybe dusk. I've never understood the difference. And I was waiting at a bus stop. Well, sitting, really. And there was this elderly lady, and it was cold outside. Not so cold, but a little cold, like when it's too cold for ice cream, but not cold enough for a jacket. And it was raining, and the lady must have been sick, because then she let out this huge sneeze. And so I gave her this tissue. <clears throat> Sam, those are all great things to do, but that's just not how you get into heaven. Oh, okay. Are you sure you saw the tissue? <laughs> yes, Sam. I'm sure I saw the tissue. I never use bad language. Really? <laughs> Just take a look. <gasps> ah! Ah! <laughs> Ooh! Ouch! See? No cussing. Are you? Yeah. And I also listen to religious CDs. That's right. And do you want to know something else? I never steal. Well, except for ladies' hearts. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Those are all fine things, Sam. But that's just not how you get into heaven. Okay, I finally got it. I know how I can get into heaven. That's great. Okay, let's hear it, Sam. I read my Bible every day. No, no, no. Sam, that's just not how you get into heaven. I also don't work on the Sabbath, which includes not brushing my teeth or carrying my wallet. No, Sam. I'm sorry. No. I share. How about no? I'm nice. Nah. -uh. I make Christian cartoons. <laughs> I tithe. Won't help. I sing. No way. I go to church every Sunday. Sam, none of those things will ever get you into heaven. Well. All I have left is... is this. And what's this? It's... 
It's my prayer to you. When I was 13 years old, it was when I told you that I believed in your son Jesus Christ, and I asked him into my heart to cleanse me and forgive me of my sins. My son, that's all you've ever needed. Welcome home. Wahoo, 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 yippee! Yay! Hey, you couldn't have just told me that in the beginning? Actually, I did. You see, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning. Okay, stop it now. Thank you. Bit of a silly video, but it, it simply illustrates really what was going on uh, in, in this situation. And, and sadly, maybe even what's going on in this room today. Maybe some of us are like silly Sam, where we're trying to get into not just a God, God's good books, but we're trying to be justified um, through our good works, through the things that we're doing. And this is what really was going on here for Paul. So Paul had shared the gospel with the believers in Galatia, and they'd received salvation by placing their faith in Jesus. That's how they started off with the gospel of grace. But now what was happening was men called Judaizers, who were insisting on keeping the law given to them by Moses, were preaching another gospel, Paul says. It's important to, to note that even from, from the gate, there is only one gospel. There is only one way to be saved, and it's the gospel of grace through faith in Christ alone. Islam will not get you into heaven. Buddhism will not get you into heaven. Hinduism will not get you into heaven. Will not get you into a relationship with God. They actually will take you to hell. It's a harsh thing to say, but it's, it's the truth. It's important that we, we start off with that. There's only one gospel, and that's, that's why Paul was so adamant here in Galatians in, in um, reminding the, the Galatians of that. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. So these false teachers were saying you had to keep the law in order to be justified with God. Now to be justified in a nutshell is kind of, there's two aspects to it. First, it's, it's you're declared right in right standing, in legal right standing with God. So God declares you, okay, you're, you're now right, your, your sin has, has been paid for. But then there's another aspect to it. Um, so we realize that our sin has been paid for as we look at Romans 8. It says there, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But also we're given the perfect righteousness of Christ, which is awesome. The perfect righteousness of Christ, and that completes justification. To kind of illustrate uh, this point, imagine you've run up a credit card debt to the tune of a billion pounds. And I know it sounds a bit, a bit extreme. Some of you ladies thinking that's not that extreme. Uh, imagine, ladies, the amount of shoes that you could buy, sorry, and men, I'm sure. Um, imagine the amount of shoes you could buy over a billion pounds. And what kind of shoes you'd buy, Jimmy Choo, Christian Louboutin, so I've, been, so I've been told, or House of Bourgeoisie. I'm sure you've probably not, probably not heard of House of Bourgeoisie. That I typed in, what's the most expensive pair of shoes in the world? How much do you think it was? Any shout out, any ideas, how much do you think it was? 30 grand. 30 grand, no. More than that, I'll just tell you. It's 140,000 pounds for the most expensive pair of shoes. And there's, there's, it's made of platinum, uh, laced with also with um, so white gold, yellow gold, and encrusted with diamonds, there's like 2,000 diamonds encrusted, that's an expensive day out. But anyway, um, that's, a, that's, that's a sidetrack. So there you are, standing with debts to the tune of a billion pounds. You're in serious trouble. Bill Gates steps in, somehow he's found out your, your plight, your situation. You've got some good friends who've been on Facebook or whatever. He's found out your situation and says, you know what, Mark, I'm gonna, you're in serious trouble. I'm able to, to help you, I'm going to pay your debt for you. So you're now looking back in your bank. You don't have the debt that you had, but also you don't have any credit. So you're halfway to justification. Then he says, you know what, I'm going to give you unlimited credit. 
that you can now, now use. You're now, uh, uh, justification is now complete. You've, your debt's been paid, but also you have all this credit that wasn't yours that you now have to spend, you now have to appreciate, you now have to benefit from, and it wasn't anything of your own doing. So now by reintroducing the need to keep the law, these Judaizers were rubbishing God's provision for salvation, which is the cross of Christ. They were doing exactly what Paul refuses to do in verse 21. It says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul's saying, look, if, if, you, if I could be made right by keeping the law, then what's the point in Jesus coming? Which is God's provision for salvation. There would be no point in that. And actually, I would be nullifying the grace of God and trying to work my own way into God's good books. My first point about the Christ-centered life is that the Christ-centered life means death to self. Christ-centered life means death to self. It, look, it seems like an anomaly, doesn't it? If you want to live, you've got to die. Paul confesses in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Paul says loud and clear, I am dead, but I'm alive. For him, there'd been a change in lordship from the law to Jesus. Now, back in the Old Testament, God gave his people his holy law through Moses, which they were to, to obey. And then their obedience, he said, the promise was it would lead to life for them. But they didn't obey completely. And in fact, they couldn't meet the perfect standard required by the law. The law, far from being a blessing and a benefit, actually was a curse and brought a curse because mankind is sinful and could never meet the requirements of a perfect holy God. That's, that's the problem, isn't it? Here is a perfect holy God who knows no sin, who cannot entertain sin, and here is sinful mankind. How can the two ever come together? Galatians 3.10 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You can't just keep one, two, three, four of the laws and, and forget the rest. You have to keep all of them, all of the time, perfectly. Paul in Romans 7 says that the law did not cause him to sin, but exposed how sinful he was. So you think about the, the keep off the, the grass sign. If there's no, no sign there, you, you don't necessarily have a tendency to want to go on the grass. But just because there's a sign there, now what is exposed is my rebellion. I want to rebel now because that sign's there, and I want to step on the grass. I think of my son. Son, don't touch the Xbox. He's only 14 months old. 14 months old, and he, he will continue. He struggles to not touch the he, He's looking at me, and he's touching the Xbox. I'm telling him not to do it. Because I've told, and to illustrate at this point that, that, that once there is a law, that then exposes how rebellious we are. Mia, my, my daughter, has, has, um, she's brilliant with my son, and he just has a, has a wonderful relationship with her, but he started picking his nose. And she was the one who told him not to do it. None of, myself and my wife just ignored it when it happened, so he didn't do it with us. But whenever he, see, whenever he sees her, often he'll start picking his nose to see the response. So he's, he's rebelling against the law that she's set. Whereas there's no law for us, he's no, there's, no, there's no need to rebel. So, so the law exposes our sinfulness. God's people found themselves, instead of being blessed for keeping the law, more guilty because they couldn't keep it. And that's the same for us today. We don't want to go back under the law. On first reading, it seems weird for Paul to say, I've been crucified with Christ. 
Let's remember that Christ was crucified because of the curse of the law, which brought death, didn't it? Jesus never sinned. He obeyed the law perfectly, as Pastor E reminded us in his prayer. But as a representative for all who put their faith in him, he suffered for the sins of others. He took our responsibility. That's the ultimate man. He takes responsibility for that which isn't his. He took our responsibility for our sin. Jesus was perfectly obedient, even to death on a cross. And when he was crucified, he satisfied all the demands of the Lord. That, you're just going to hear it, it's going to go over your head, but we, I pray that we even would go away today and really meditate on this verse and, 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 and cry out to God and ask him to give us understanding. He satisfied all the demands of the law. The law says, right, you're guilty. Jesus has satisfied all of that for his death. So verse 19 Verse 20 basically expands on verse 19, which says, For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. So Paul was co-crucified, if you like, with Jesus at the cross. The law had no more claim over him. And so all who put their trust in Jesus for salvation also are dead to the law. The law can't come and say, right, you're guilty, because we then point to the cross and say, actually, it's been paid in full. Jesus released Paul from the duty to the law so that he could live to God. The law brings a curse and death. Grace brings life. True Christian life comes through crucifixion with Christ. Now, obviously, Jesus' crucifixion, thank the Lord, was different and is different to ours, wasn't it? His was physically, where he died a a vile and and gruesome death. He was a sacrifice given. He was a substitute. He took the punishment for Paul and for all who trust in him. The Christian's crucifixion, our our crucifixion, Paul's crucifixion, is not physical, but it's spiritual and legal. So when Jesus was crucified, all who would trust in Christ were in the eyes of the Father, crucified with him. So the Father looks down at the Son and miraculously and mysteriously and wonderfully Mark, at, at that point, was crucified with Christ, the person that you are. And your, your, the, the, the law have been over you now has been, has been dealt with at the cross. When did Mark 5 come to faith? Well, he came to faith in 1996. When was his debt paid? Back at the cross. So Paul was crucified with Jesus. Colossians 2, 13 to 14 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, that was us, wasn't it? And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Praise God. Nailing it to the cross. Debt paid in full. Jesus' crucifixion results in an amazing transformation for us as believers because it means that we're no longer, we no longer stand guilty before a holy God. Now, what's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the issue with that? Why is that? Why is that a problem? Because if you stand guilty before a holy God, the one only holy God, your judgment will be eternal separation from him in hell. That's serious. So the, the, the good news is that actually our debt as believers, as we put our faith in Christ, not in our works, then we stand innocent. And right now we stand innocent before God. When God looks at me, it's, it's ridiculous. But he sees perfection. Not because of me, because of Christ. 
Because in, in, in my day-to-day life, I don't, certainly don't see perfection. My wife will tell you that. My kids will tell you that. Anybody that knows me, don't, you don't see perfection. But positionally, as far as God is concerned, legally, I have been set free. Legally, I have been forgiven. Legally, I've been justified because of what Christ has done. The old man, Romans 7, has been put to death for those who trust in the law and their own goodness to be made right with God, say, you know what, we don't need the cross, thanks. Uh, Actually, I'll kind of, like Sam, I'll I'll do it my own way. I'll bring my own truckload of stuff and, and God will surely let me in. He'll surely embrace me. Filthy rags, we're told, aren't we? Even the best of our works. On our best day, imagine that. On our best day, best week, best month, imagine for a month you're just flying, you're on top of the mountain like Pastor Pete talked about a little while back, and you're just, and the Lord looks at that and says, actually, if I'm judging you based on your works, it's, just, it's, it's like a used menstrual cloth. That's, that's how good it is. But if I'm judging you based on the fact that you're in Christ, that period is wonderful, you're perfect. That's really not enough for us to know this stuff in our heads. That's the problem, isn't it? We, we, we kind of know this and, and it's familiar to us. But we need to personally, personally experience the reality of it in our own lives. And really that is my prayer today, that that would happen or begin to happen for us. The true Christian life means death to self and trying to come to God on our own terms. Death to our selfish nature, wanting our way, wanting to live independent of God, is a sin. That is actually a sin. For anyone to say, I'm going to live independently of God, the one who created me, the one who gave me life, the one who gives me breath, is sin. God calls us to be obedient to his law, not in order to be saved, but because Jesus has suffered the penalty of the law on our behalf. And by doing so, he's changed our relationship to the law. Trust me, like yesterday, Kay and those guys around the house, they they went out and I, I spent a time with the Lord and I was... Initially, looking at this verse and praying about it and crying at the Lord and saying, okay, Lord, yeah, this is great, it's wonderful. And it's kind of like, it's like I, was, I was having it in my head and, and then began to run around the house saying, God, it's true, it's true, this is actually true. I am made right. When God sees me, I'm perfect. When God sees me, I'm forgiven. My, my best efforts is not what I come to God with. I, set, I point to the cross and, and just the, the reality of that began to permeate my heart and my mind and my being. And you know what, it brings freedom. It brings freedom from us, because that's hard work, isn't it? That is hard work, bringing all your stuff, you're trying to work your way into God's good books. You're trying to be good enough, but always realizing actually, I know I'm not good enough, but I'm gonna keep on trying. If we will lay hold of this, if we cry out to God about this, this verse, about this truth, trust me, freedom will come. Even for those of us who have been Christians for some time, some of us are like these guys in Galatians, are going back to trying to please God in our own efforts, trying to, feeling that we're accepted by God when we do good things, and when we're not, actually, God's not, he's not pleased with us, he's not happy with us. And that's bondage, isn't it? That's what the law brings, is bondage. God wants to set us free from that. Death results in life. Paul says that the old me that prided himself on how righteous he was, and Paul was, wasn't he? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was... He said, I was trying to keep the law as a means of salvation. That person's dead. Christ now had dominion. Not that Paul lost his personality. That's important to note as well. It's not like Jesus creates clones where we're all exactly the same. He's created us with our own individual personalities, which he wants to, like a diamond, he wants to shine his light through. And you, you, you appreciate the different aspects and the different dimensions of it. 
We're all individual in, in that sense, and yet we're united in Christ, becoming more and more like Jesus, but through our personality. That's exciting, I think. How about you? Are you still trying to rule your life? Can you join with Paul and say, you know, I've been crucified. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the, that is the, the, the fact of it if you're a Christian, but are you laying hold of the reality of that? I see in my own heart all too often a divided loyalty. At times I find myself dragging the old person around with his old fears and all the issues that he had. Not submitting to the Lordship of Christ and suffering the consequences for it. Allow the truth of this verse to penetrate your heart. Meditate on it. Cry out to God to open your eyes to see it. And it will set you free from duty, as I said. My second point is, the Christ-centered life is divinely enabled. Divinely enabled. Power from on high, as they say. Intel inside, no, Jesus inside, bringing real power that will bring about real change. Romans 8, 9 teaches that all true Christians are indwelt by Christ. And that's what Paul's saying and testifying to here, isn't it? To when he says, uh, it's Christ who lives in me. Christ lived in Paul as king. This is true, true Christianity, true Christ-centered life, which draws power from Christ, <coughs> excuse me, lives in perfect union with Christ. The true Christian, the Christ-centered Christian, is one who is being sanctified, that is set apart from the world by Christ. And day to day, we're experiencing new direction, new desires, new motives, new goals, and wonderfully new power provided by Jesus. Saul the Pharisee was dead, but Paul the apostle was very much alive. As Christians, we have Christ living in us by his spirit. And although that sounds far-fetched, doesn't it? It sounds kind of like there's a little guy in my heart somewhere you know, doing his, running around on the treadmill. We, 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 we lay hold of it by faith. And, we, and not only that, we experience the reality of it, don't we? And my wife has given me permission, husbands take note, She's given me permission to share a snippet of what she was like, just a snippet of what she was like before she met Christ. Now, when I met Tabitha, she looked nearly as beautiful as she does today. Husbands, take note. <laughs> nearly as beautiful as she does today. But she was a sinner, just like me. On the one hand, she was clearly very bright and driven, but she also smoked weed and ash, took ecstasy, and would often go out raving for 24 hours, 24 literal hours, sometimes more than that. 24 literal hours raving and could be found at times dancing on tables. Fully clothed, not that kind of dancing, but dancing on tables. She was a raver. She had no desire, as she told me, to be the little housewife. Obviously, she's my wife, so something's changed. Um, and we have... Four beautiful children, or three beautiful children, four. Four. <laughs> four, four coming, three and a half, yeah, four coming. <laughs> Husbands take note. <laughs> it's how to do it and how not to do it, I mean. Um, so she, yeah, she told me she wasn't going to be a little housewife. She was also angry with God. I mean, sadly, her, her dad died when she was very young. And because of that, she became very angry with God and was searching for the truth in all the wrong places. Tarot cards and spiritualists. 
And she went on a holiday to Ibiza, a raving holiday, to rave and get lean and twisted and, and do whatever it is you do when you're raving. You know, many of us have been there. And that's where she met Christ. It was on a holiday. And from that day, everything changed. And I've witnessed over the last 16 years the reality of Christ in her. I've witnessed the reality of that. And, and, and this, as a, as a, yesterday, as I was beginning to get excited, I was like, yeah, Lord, it's true. Not only is it true in my head, but I, I'm experiencing the reality of you in me bringing about change. And I'm sure I could bring many people up here who, who could testify to the fact that I, this is what I used to be like, and this is what I'm like. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not perfect, but I'm certainly not where I was. It's a reality. That should excite us. I pray that that, that would begin to excite us, that these, these are not just words on a page or nice, nice sayings. Now, the change is not just outward either, is it? It's not just a moral change. I used to take drugs. Now I'm a Christian. I don't take drugs because Christians don't do that. It's much more than that. My desires have changed and are changing. And the will to overcome the sin that before was, I was enslaved to. Like my story, very similar to Tabitha's, I was, I was a drug addict and I was unable to stop. I used to love taking drugs. I loved it. I didn't, I didn't want to stop. And when, at the point where I did want to stop, I couldn't stop. And yet I met with Christ. It wasn't immediate like my wife. That's the thing, isn't it? For some of us, it's, for, for all of us, it's a process. Some there's that immediate turning our back on stuff. For others, it's a process of submitting to Christ who is in us, who is changing us. Let that encourage us today. Jesus, if you're a Christian today, Christ is in you and he will get you to the finish line. He will ensure that you arrive in heaven. What's his goal is, is to bring us back into relationship with the Father. He's committed to that. He's faithful. We can trust that he will do that. Romans 6.11 says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. In Christ Jesus. This, is a, this was such a key verse for me in trying to, and it was Pastor Rob actually who shared it with me at a particular point where I, I was a drug addict trying to, I was a believer, gone back into taking drugs, backslidden like um, Shabazz was talking about a couple of weeks ago. That was me. I was backslidden for like four years, caused havoc and hell in my home. And this verse really helped me because Pastor Rob, was, first he said to me, Examine yourself to see if you're the faith. I was offended at that, as I've shared before. But I did that. But then also, talk to this, this verse, reckon yourself, consider yourself to be dead to sin. And that word reckon refers to having an absolute, unreserved confidence in what one's mind knows to be true. You are dead to sin, Mark, as a believer. But Lord, I'm still sinning. Yeah, but you are positionally, you are actually dead to sin. You don't need to do it anymore. The, the, the prison gate's been opened. The shackles have been released. You're going back in there by choice. You don't have to do that anymore. And so as I begin to, the temptation continued to come, wanted, to take, wanted to, take, to take drugs, wanted to go raving, wanted to do whatever it is I was doing, and I would say, remind myself, you know what, no, actually, as the temptation come, that person is dead. I would literally speak it out. I'd remind myself of the truth. That's what we need to do as believers often, isn't it? Not just, not just give in to temptation. The Bible talks about the fact that we yielded ourselves, we offered ourselves up to sin. So sin says, Mark, okay, look. Boy, it's Friday night. I mean, um, go and take some drugs, innit? It'd be nice for you to go and, go and drop a couple of E's or buy some Charlie or whatever you. That's what sin says. And God's word says, okay, 
Mark, you are dead to sin. You need to reckon yourself to be that. I'm now the one who fulfills you. I'm in you. If you trust in me, if you, if you call out to me, if you rely on me, I will help you to overcome this temptation. So practically, we need to reckon ourselves, remind ourselves that that person is dead if we're, if we're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, and the sad news is you're unable to really do that. You're a slave to sin. And that's why you find, you know that what I'm saying is true, even though you may be offended by it, the reality is you've been trying to stop, you've been trying to change, and you may change for a little while, but there's no real deep heart change because only Christ can bring that. Well, what should our attitude be to the law now? We do not now live by the law with no regard or respect for it. On the contrary, we love it and are empowered to keep it. Isn't that the testament of us as believers? As much as we, f- we fail and we flop, it's not like we say, oh, Lord, I shouldn't lie, I shouldn't hate. You know, I wish you could just change that one. Or we, this adultery thing, Lord, can you just take that one out because that's unfair? No, I know deep within me, I say, no, that's right, God. That's right. And I love your law. Like David said, didn't he? Christian life is a life to be lived right now, as you, as you noticed, in the physical body. Notice that this body is to manifest faith to be a living sacrifice, as we're told. And like I said, how am I, how do I yield in the same way that I used to give in to the temptation to sin? And I, I would get, go to clubs, I would go to, to pubs, I would go wherever I, I was going to do whatever I was doing. I would yield up my body to it. I now yield myself to God. Okay, Lord, I've got this temptation, I've got this desire, but here's your word. Let me crack your word. Let me ring somebody and, and ask them to pray with me and tell them I'm, I'm feeling tempted. Let me reach out to you. Let me obey your voice in me. Third and final point. How am I doing for time? My wife is trying to help me, hopefully helping me. Uh, the Christ, final, final, final point. The Christ-centered life is lived by faith. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? It's obvious. Um, but what makes faith great? Now, the answer is the object of that faith. Now, as I said, I've got a 40-month-old son. And if I stood here or stood at my house or wherever and just trusting and trusting and trusting, Lord, I really believe. Not Lord, I believe, but I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. I trust, I trust, I trust, I trust, I trust that my son can drive me to the seaside in the car and we can have a wonderful day and he can drive me back. He's 14 months old, but I trust that he can do it. No matter how, it's not a, the problem isn't my faith the size, or the size of my faith, is it? It's the object of my faith because the reality is it ain't going to happen. Not because of my faith, as I said, it's not, my faith's not big enough, but he ain't big enough. Paul's faith was in the Son of God. He brings in, reminding us of, God's, of, of Christ's deity, fully man, but he's also fully God. Did you notice that in our verse? He's pointing to the deity of Christ. The object of his faith is God himself. And so his faith is great because of who God is. Makes sense, doesn't it? You, as you consider God, boy, every day I put my, my faith in people and in things that are actually unworthy. And there's no evidence that really they, they're going to come through for me or that they're going to hold my weight. But I put my faith in it every day. I get on a bus, I don't know who the driver is. He could have been drinking vodka that morning. He could be, you know, he could be, have delusions of grandeur. He could have a desire to, to kill himself today. And like everybody's coming to, to hell with me today on this bus. I, I have no clue. But I put my faith in him without even thinking. God who is awesome, God who is the creator of all things, who is faithful. The word doesn't even, doesn't even, doesn't even 
we say faithful, it doesn't even, um, it's not big enough, it's not good enough to, 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 for us to really lay hold of it. Why have faith in the Son of God? Because he loved me, Paul said, doesn't he? Past tense, notice that he loved me and he gave himself for me. Love gives, have you noticed that? Most of us are good at professing our love, aren't we, for people and for things. And it's a lot, it's a lot more difficult to actually move then into the realm of action. That's what love does. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his son. How do we know God loves? Because he gives. God is love, the Bible teaches us. And he gave more than anyone could ever give by sending his precious son to be murdered for people that despised him. This is love. Remember that there's nothing remotely good in us. I say remember that, we want to, we want to forget that far too, far too often, but it's, it's true. First John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's motivation wasn't, oh, here's some people and they, they, love, they love me, so therefore I'm going to love them. We hated God, and yet he, just, he chose to love us. Christ's love and sacrifice were true and very real for Paul. You've only to look at his life. He went from a Christ-persecuting murderer to a Christ-glorifying martyr. From a proud, zealous legalist to a humble servant, zealous for the gospel of grace. From hating Gentiles to loving all people, he was totally sold out for Jesus. How about you? How about me? If you're a Christian here today, have you personally taken ownership of the reality that Christ died for you? True faith is not content just to casually say, yeah, you know what, yeah, yeah, Jesus died for everyone who puts their faith and their trust in a general sense. That's true. But have you laid hold of that for yourself? Have you, have you come to the realization that Jesus died for me? Jesus has caused me to be justified. He's given me his righteousness, me personally. Have you laid hold of that for yourself? Is that your confession? Does faith in Jesus now control you? Are you drawing power to change from Jesus? Do you experience full acceptance from the Father because of Christ's righteousness credited to you? Or are you still, like Sam, trusting that God will accept you based on your own efforts? Or maybe you feel condemned because you keep falling in sin. Then I say you would do well to examine yourself to see if you are a Christian, as 2 Corinthians encourages. That is, do you have the inward witness of the Spirit talked about in Romans 8? Do you have a new relationship with sin? Are you still happy like I was? Happy to sin, loving sin. I used to love sin. We love sin, didn't we? That's why people sin, because they love it. It's, it's enjoyable for a moment. Are you still in that place where you love sin? Do you have a love for Jesus and a deep desire to live for him and to obey his word? These are some evidences that you are a Christian. Once you're confident that you belong to Christ, not because of your own efforts, remember, then you need to thank Jesus with a life surrendered to him and enabled by him. 
Paul, having been given new life, could now do the good works that he had been created to do, as Ephesians 2.10 tells us. Paul's obedience was no longer a vain effort to satisfy God, but seen as a privilege to honor God and done from a grateful heart. That's, that is our confession as believers, isn't it? As I said, it's no longer a chore and a bind, but we, we want to serve God. I've seen that in my, own, in my own life and in my own heart. My, my desires are changing. And as I say, as I, as I laid hold of this yesterday, trust me, I think at times we don't, we don't break through with regards to understanding because we, we don't cry out to God desperately cry out to God and say, Lord, if you don't give me understanding, I'm, I'm going to be lost. If you don't show me, Lord, what this word means, what, what this, this verse is all about, help me to lay hold of the reality of it. We'll be like, you know, the, the reality is the sun's always out, but there's clouds, isn't there, at times, and you can't see the fact that there's sun. We'll, we'll be, we'll, it, it, will be, will be, it will evade us, the, the, the reality of it, simply sometimes because we don't cry out to God for understanding. So do we as Christians say that we don't need the Ten Commandments? Thanks very much. You've you've satisfied the law, so it's all good. We can do what we want to do. Not at all. We just, we don't just expect, sorry, sorry, not at all. We just don't expect to be accepted by keeping them, do we? That's that's, that's what's changed. So we we want to keep God's law, but we realize when when I fail and when I flop, I don't don't throw myself off off a bridge thinking that God's going to cast me into hell now. Because I remember the cross. Yes, I'm, I'm, I feel bitter about my sin. That should be an evidence of a believer. We should feel bad about our sin, but not to the point where we feel condemned. We repent and we get on our knees and we repent and then we remind ourselves, we're reminded, we're encouraged that actually Jesus has paid the price for me. And I can, I can enjoy my relationship with the Lord. I don't need to stay away from church. I don't need to stay away from reading the Bible. Christ has paid it all. I can actually get on with living this Christian life empowered by Christ. So obedience to the law is a demonstration of Christ's saving work applied to our lives. Now, as I said, we're being sanctified as Christians, becoming more and more like Jesus from the inside out. I love that song. More and more. We live a life of faith in Jesus, as Paul did, trusting that if Jesus loved him enough to give himself, then he loved him enough to actually indwell him and empower him and enable him to live this life. So I want to encourage you all to read Romans 6, 6 and 7 particularly. It speaks about being dead to sin and, and law and sin. And Go away and, and, and have, a, have a look at that. Romans 6 and Romans 7. You'll be greatly blessed as you do that. So we need to come to God through the crucifixion of Christ and enjoy the power of Christ living in you. Make his life yours through faith. This is the Christ-centered life. Once you're, you're united to Christ, you will always be united to Christ. Now, the temptation is we often think, oh, you know, I'm gonna, I can lose my salvation. I'm utterly convinced of what I see in the scripture that Christ has me and I'm, I'm, I'm justified because of what he's done and he promises to get me to the finish line. I'm trusting in him, not in my own efforts and therefore I, I'm not a schizophrenic. Oh, I'm saved today, I'm not saved. Oh, I have faith, which wanes at times, doesn't it? We struggle. God graciously leads us to find life apart from ourselves and in himself. In Christ alone, my hope is found. That's what the hymn says, isn't it? I'll ask you to play that afterwards if you don't mind, Tim. All who strive to be righteous in their own efforts sin by doing so, by refusing the grace provided in Christ. They live as if they don't need God. And as I said, that's a grievous sin. To try and approach God on your own merit is to spit in God's face 
and to reject Jesus, the only one who can save you from his wrath. That's why if you, you, if you look at the Galatians, you, you, see, you, you can sense the tone from Paul, oh foolish Galatians. He's not saying that they're, 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 they don't have any, have any sense, but he's saying they're, they're, they're disobedient. How, why is it you're going now back under, into bondage when you've been set free from that? And he's angry. Every single person who trusts in Jesus will eternally benefit from being made right with God, which is relationship with him. Isn't it? That's ultimately what we're aiming for. What's the, what is this whole life really all about? Why did Christ come? He, he came so that we can have relationship with the Father eternally, forever, abundantly. And we now as believers can lay hold of that. Now we can experience that now. We no longer need to continue to sin. So praise God for the Christ-centered life, a life that brings death to self, death to self-righteousness and is divinely enabled and is sustained by Christ through faith. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your extravagant love, which was displayed most preciously, Lord, at the cross as you sent your son to die the most gruesome death in order that all who put their faith in him could be justified, could be made right with you. And without the cross, Lord, without Christ, we all stand guilty and wait in judgment. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to lay hold of the reality of that. Lord, for some in here, Lord, who may be self-righteous like Sam, Lord, please would you help them to stop and to realize that no matter what they do, they can never please you in their own efforts. But you have provided your son for them because of your grace. Please help them to lay hold of that today. And Lord, for those of us who have given our lives to you, Lord, those of us who laid down, would you help us to rejoice and to lay hold of the truth that Christ is in me. I no longer live, and I live this life by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.